we want to lead with our quality, right? So we want to have the best quality. And that's what somebody, you know, you can have all of the wonderful attributes in the world, but if it doesn't taste good, nobody's going to buy it. They might buy it once, but they're not going to buy it like three times in a row. What's up, food marketing nerds? We've got a great episode in store for you today. We're chatting with Serafina Poundek of Hip Chick Farms. Serafina's company makes a line of extremely high-quality organic chicken products like nuggets and tenders and was founded four and a half years ago in an effort to provide healthy food to people and children on a mass scale. From being on a reality show to selling on QVC, her company has had amazing success and is growing like crazy. On the show today, we discuss how being on QVC really works and what effects it has on your business, what core marketing areas you should focus on to grow a cult-like following, how to use data to know when a packaging redesign might be in order, and a lot more. So let's go hang with Serafina. Welcome to the Food Marketing Nerds Podcast, where we talk marketing, branding, and social media with the smartest minds in the business. Here's your host, Alex Osterley. Serafina, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and Hip Chick Farms, how you got started, the whole nine yards? Sure. We've had Hip Chick Farms. We've been in business for about four and a half years now. We started selling and producing back in January of 2013. But I like to say that our story started 25 years ago when my partner, who's also my wife, is a chef. And she went to culinary school in San Francisco. And from culinary school, she went straight over to Chez Panisse in Berkeley which is really one of the foundation points of the farm-to-table movement. It's uh, owned and operated by the pioneer Alice Waters. Their focus has always been on making simple food incredibly beautifully made, uh, really knowing your farmers, sourcing seasonally, things like that. So she was there for 10 years, and then she went on to become the executive private chef for Ann and Gordon Getty. They're a family in San Francisco. She was with them for the next 16 years. She would cook their lunch and dinner. She did all of their special events. uh, And they also hosted a Montessori school in their home, so she would cook for the kids every day. About six years ago, we bought a farm in Northern California to really live our beliefs around sustainable food systems. We wanted our kid growing up really understanding where food came from and uh, digging in the dirt, playing outside, all that kind of crazy stuff. And that's when we started Hip Chick Farms. We wanted to make a real simple, beautiful product for busy families like ourselves. Every kid loves a chicken nugget. And pretty much every parent I know uh, is suspicious of what goes into a chicken nugget. Um, So we decided to make a line of organic poultry products that was very uh, transparently sourced, made with a lot of care and compassion. That's what we started doing about four and a half years ago. And so I'm curious about the the early stages. So you had bought this farm, and uh, you you saw that there was a potential need in the market for a healthier chicken nugget, especially from the perspective of of being a parent yourself. So what was that first step into actually creating a product? Well, you know, my background is actually as a professional fundraiser for nonprofit organizations. So I had absolutely no background in starting a food business. I think where that my my background served me is that and when you work for nonprofits, um, you're very used to doing trying to accomplish miracles on almost no resources. Mm-hmm. Um, so that part didn't worry me. So I immediately went out and took some classes from you know small business administration type. Uh, resources like the Small Business Development Center. And then I just started, it's very much me to just reach out and start calling people and asking for help. 
I called other folks in the industry um, and, you know, I, I had heard that, for example, I had heard that you needed a broker to sell your food products, right? Now, this is pre-product, right? So we just had this idea of what we wanted to make. Pre-production, I should say. So I called up Acosta, which is the largest food brokerage firm in the world, or at least in the country. And I called Acosta and said, hey, I have this great idea, and we want to sell chicken nuggets. Will you help me? And uh, I remember the guy I talked to, he asked me a bunch of questions, and he was so kind. And, uh, and he said, so, you know, listen, he's like, you really have no idea of what you're trying to do. But since you're in Sebastopol, which is where we live, He's like, I know somebody in Sebastopol who can help you. And uh, his name's Greg Hartman. So he had me call this guy Greg Hartman. So I called him up and he very kindly took me under his wing and taught me the entire industry. Like he taught me about distributors, how to, he taught me what a cost of goods was. <laughs> wow. He taught me how, what a promotional plan was. He taught me everything from start to finish. So in the early days, it was really just me trying to very quickly, like following my instincts, but just quickly trying to learn from others that went before me. Well, that speaks highly of, of Acosta, that they would take on, at least hear out what you were trying to accomplish and point you in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, funny now, full circle, they are our broker. Well, there you go. That's a little bit of a sales cycle, but I mean, you just get see what building a relationship or putting out those those kinds of vibes really I mean, does. Sure, I mean a lot of people laugh me out of the room like that happened too, but I I choose to focus on the positive. You had this mentor who really taught you just how the industry works, kind of business just in, in general. So where are you guys at now compared to to that as far as distribution, what you're doing just in general? So Jen and I had had a vision from the start. We knew that we wanted to go very large scale. We didn't at all comprehend what the amount of resources that that would require, right? So it's only in retrospect that I understand how many, like what what that kind of build takes. Um, but we always knew we wanted to go big. Like we didn't want to go, we didn't want to start with farmers markets. We wanted to launch into Whole Foods, and that's what we did. So we uh, to start, we went straight into several grocery chains, natural grocery stores. We got approved for a couple of regions of Whole Foods, and then other natural retailers in our area on the West Coast. Um, so that was, again, in, in, in 2013, we had three products. Today, um, we have close to, goodness, we'll probably be in about 5,000 points of distribution in the next 30 days. We're right mid-launch of a bunch of new accounts. So um, we're going from 3,500 points of distribution, 3,500 stores to 5,000 in the next 30 days. So now we're sold into some natural retailers like Whole Foods, and we're also sold in a nationwide through natural um, and traditional conventional distributors like UNFI. Um, we're sold into Kroger stores nationwide, and we're launching into Walmart wow. stores uh, nationwide. So we've grown quite a bit. Our sales this year will probably will probably do five times what we did last year. Wow, that's impressive. You said that you and you and your partner had initially started out knowing that you wanted to hit a, a pretty large scale. What was the desire that made you know that, I guess, that that was your, your initial gut feeling that you wanted to, to hit scale? Yeah, well, and, and again, my, my idea of scale then versus my idea of scale now has changed dramatically. Um, but we really wanted good quality food to every person. 
I understood pretty rapidly that the way to do that was economies of scale. So if I want, look, my kid's almost seven and I know what she's served in her school um, when it comes to chicken nuggets. So our ultimate goal is to have organic poultry available to people everywhere across the country at an affordable price, right? So, so what we're making is an incredibly artisan product. It's, we use whole muscle meat. We actually still do everything by hand. Wow. So our processes is, isn't really automated yet. Um, we're very thoughtful about how we source our ingredients and the farmers that we um, partner with. So we want to do that. We want to offer organic, non-GMO products to every kid and every person in the United States. So the way we have to do that in order to get an artisan product in line with a price perspective that they're used to paying, right, is because chicken nuggets are kind of like a commodity in a lot of ways, or could be seen as a commodity um, with the Foster Farms and Tysons of the world, right? So the way we're doing that is through economies of scale, so the, the, the more quickly we can grow, the easier it is to get the price in line with other, what other folks are doing and then also to create more demand for organic poultry. Yeah, that, that definitely makes sense. So, so starting out, was there ever a point really where you had the realization that, wow, this could actually really work? You know, I feel like it's only been, <laughs> honestly, it's only been in the last six months that I've been kind of like, okay, maybe this is going to work. It's, you know, every day it's like developing a startup. It's so touch and go, you know, like the smallest thing can like throw things off. You know, we only had last year we had three people working for us. There was three of us. You know, now there's 12. Wow. There's more. (laughs) There's there's a lot more shared um, intellect. (laughs) I no longer have to just um, depend upon my own small brain. You know what I mean? I have a lot of really <laughs> smart people that I get to work with on a daily basis. And that's helped a lot. Yeah, that's incredibly, incredibly nice to have that those different perspectives in the under one roof. And the expertise, right? You know, like we've gotten these amazing people to jump on board and to decide to work for a startup, right? Which is like, things here are change every five minutes. You know, we're going down one path, and then we see something else, and we change, and we pivot. You know, a lot of folks are used to working in an environment that stays the same all the time, right? So it, ha- it takes a certain type who's um, able and willing to work for a startup. So we have a really great team. All right. So w- one of the things that I found really interesting about Hip Chick Farms is that you guys are sold on, or selling on QVC. What has the process been like to, one, get onto QVC and just working in that type of environment in general? Oh my God, it's so fascinating to me. So this was one of those things that just, that happened by, again, by um, relationship building. So I actually went to, I have this kind of philosophy of like, I always say yes to things. So I went to a trade show in St. Paul, Minnesota, and I started talking to the guy next to me who was the um, owner of a sausage company. And he had started it like 20 years ago. He and I started talking and he, he said to me something along the lines of, you know, when I was new to the industry, I went onto the Home Shopping Network and I was really successful. And it built my, it, from a marketing perspective, it really built my brand name, right? And so that perked my interest. Uh, and he said, I'll make an introduction for you. So anyway, so he made an introduction and we presented our products to QVC we launched onto QVC. We've had sellout after sellout. The odds are pretty rare. Um, I think it's pretty 
in general, um, it's pretty difficult to get on to QVC, but, um, but we've done really, really well. So that was unexpected. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's great. I love it. It's, uh, it's nerve wracking because it's like a totally different environment than we're used to selling in and it's a different customer than we're used to selling to. Um, so it's been a process of really trying to go kind of go with their flow, you know, but yeah, it's, we, we've done, we can sell on QVC. We've sold up to $25,000 a minute. Wow. That's insane. Because you're only on for 10 minutes. That's crazy. So what is, I guess you mentioned that there, you have to kind of work within a different flow, kind of sell to a different demographic. What is the, what is that flow like and who's the, the customer mainly? Their typical demographic is, I believe they said it was a 62-year-old woman. Huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's pretty price sensitive and is looking for a flavor profile that's, um, you know, you think of an organic shopper as somebody who's willing to take, to understand that taste. More adventurous. More. Yes. I mean, our products are really tasty, but the, the QVC shopper is looking for basically fatty, salty. Less exotic. Yes. So, um, yeah, so, so they're not really looking for the attributes that we have, right? But they're responding to it simultaneously. So, so for example, we made the decision not to have me go on, but to hire a host. Interesting. So we have this host, Marie Louise, who has been selling on QBC for 10 years. So she has this big, she has a trusted following on QBC. So she is advocating for our brand, her, sh- the shoppers at, follow her, uh, trust her. Hmm. Right. So that was a marketing decision of like, okay, let's, let's go with this QVC thing and see how it goes without us, you know, without me being the face of it. Right. Cause that was a different marketing decision for us and it's, it's going well. So I'm kind of leaving it alone just letting it go from there. That's interesting. I didn't realize that, that you had to provide your own host or hire yes, somebody for that. You do. So either, like I could go on or I can hire a host. Interesting. I think that's probably a smart decision. Not that you can sell your nuggets really well on QVC, but I'm sure it's just a completely different atmosphere once you're actually on there and, and selling. Well, I've gone, you know, after, after a few sellouts, I went to go experience it myself and, uh, it's intense, man. You know, they're, they're, they're switching over to a new product every 10 minutes, 24 hours a day. That's insane. They film around the clock. That, the logistics behind that must be, I, I can't even imagine, that must be they're crazy. On air, 364, they're live 364 days a year. So they only are on, off on Christmas Day. That's crazy. Yeah, so I, you know, I... I have thought that I'm the best representative for the brand, but I think that, you know, why, why fix something that's not broke? Like they're doing a, Marin Louise is doing a killer job. As a, as a leader, especially as the founder of the company, it takes, it takes a little bit of, I guess, strategy and maybe even self-awareness to have that wherewithal to say, maybe somebody could sell this product on in this scenario and do a better job or can do a really good job. And I think that was a, a smart smart decision and it obviously is paying off they do a lot of um they're very thoughtful about their metrics so as the show is airing you know their people in the back are watching 
they're measuring uh, every minute, minute by minute, how much you're selling, wow. right, per minute. And, uh, and they know what keywords affect the shoppers. And then, and then they also very, they, they take the customer feedback very seriously. So our host know, like if we get a negative review on qvc.com, she will reply, respond to that on the next airing, but in a way that's very thoughtful and specific, right? That'll answer the question without it being asked, right? Obviously she's not going to say, oh, there was this complaint. She's going to say like, yeah, the reason, or, you know, she'll point out that like, like we don't chop and form any of our products. So they're inconsistent in size because a chicken breast is smaller on one end, bigger in the middle and then smaller again. Right? So the pieces as we cut them are naturally occurring different shapes and people are used to chicken nuggets being uniform. <laughs> so one of the concerns that's come up on QVC is like, why are these pieces small or big or whatever it is? So like she, she has very closely monitored that feedback and then responds to it on air. That's really interesting. And I think that tactic just in general, listening to what your customers are saying and that quick feedback, maybe I think this is probably a scenario where it could be done instantaneously almost, but yeah. just listening and really incorporating that into your overall strategy of what are people saying and how do we address that? Yeah, no, for sure. Because the, you know, look, we've gotten some feedback on QBC that's like, these don't taste like McDonald's. Ooh, <laughs> right? Like, well. And I'm like, oh, good. my first reaction was, yeah, thank God. <laughs> right? And then, but that comment keeps running through my head, right? And thinking about that and thinking about that and thinking about that. And I'm thinking like, if we want to appeal, if we want to be the most beloved chicken finger in the world, right? That's our goal. If like, we want to be the most beloved chicken nugget in the, in the country, then I should be marketing and creating a product. Like we have the highest quality product in the market. I know that, but maybe that there's something in our formulation we could change to have a, uh, have a greater appeal to every person, right? So maybe we tweak our size, you know, maybe we, maybe we can make some slight tweaks to, it's like, I, I just agree. Like it's, it, it's this incredible, important piece of feedback from somebody in the middle of America, you know? And so we're, we're taking that, that feedback from QVC and applying it to all of our products across the board. You know, there's a reason people like to eat at fast food, right? It's cheap, but it's consistent. It's always the same. Right. So how many inquiries or complaints do you need or do you guys look at of the same topic until you start taking it seriously? Or is it just one, one customer brings up a point and you're like, oh, maybe that is a good point? Yeah, I mean, it's, this QVC thing is really interesting because up until QVC, I would say we've gotten like maybe three negative complaints in four and a half years. Right? Like we never, we don't get negative complaints. We get positive feedback in general. I think we've had probably like 100 um, reviews on QVC. You know, 75% are positive and glowing and 15% are not. Right? So that comes down to like, I think there's something like 20, 20, um, we, we put together a matrix where we, we, we took every review and tried to cull from it 
okay, wh- what is this person really, you know, is it relevant or not, right? So like a complaint about McDonald's, well, okay, you know, or a complaint that, um, that it's, uh, there are some that just didn't make any sense. So we dismiss those, you know, for whatever reason. But then we, we wanted to look at the consistent messaging, which came down to just a few, you know, maybe 15 reviews that had similar con- complaints. And, and, and the more I think about it, the more I'm like, I'm, maybe I'm making too much of it, but I, but I definitely want to take it very seriously, you know, because, and, and that's one of the great things that we're opening a kitchen here, an R&D kitchen, which is going to be our, um, also a lunch counter. And that's one of the things I'm the most excited about is that we get to, on a daily basis, get direct feedback from our consumers about what they like, or more importantly, what they don't like. Right. Yeah, and I think it's extremely smart that you guys are are paying such close attention to that because a lot of brands don't. They try to think of the, they hear the Steve Jobs notion of the customers don't know what they want yet until we give it to them. But then there's legitimate feedback that that actually should be taken into account. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we want to. We want our quality. We want. We want to lead with our quality. Right. So we want to have the best quality. And that's what somebody, you know, you can have all of the wonderful attributes in the world, but if it doesn't taste good, nobody's going to buy it. They might buy it once, but they're not going to buy it like three times in a row. Right. Right. So I know you guys aren't necessarily new to TV, which is the QVC side of things. You were on the investor reality show, uh, West Texas Investors Club about a year ago. We were. Yeah. How, How was that experience? It was great, honestly. It was super great. We um, we went out and spent a week in Midland, Texas, and uh, did a pitch to these two um, really quirky investors, and um, ended up spending a ton of time together, really got to know each other, had this great opportunity to, we did a demo. They actually proposed this. So we did a demo to a, an audience of uh, parents and children where we made a traditional, we made a chicken nugget as made by several fast food restaurants. And then we made, and then we showed them the difference of how we make our product. And uh, the feedback again was very telling. Um, we've since made that a version of that and it's on our website. So we, we, we took, we took what we learned from, from that actual experience and created our own marketing around it. So it was pretty fun. And then we, you know, they, they invest, you know, we made a deal where they invested uh, like a half a million dollars in our business. The deal didn't actually come through because we ended up taking a better deal, but it was a really positive experience. And it got us a lot of really, really positive marketing. And to this day, our sales are almost as stronger in Texas than they are in any other state. Really? Yeah. So from a, a PR an awareness standpoint, what did that do to your business before and after? Um, you know, I think we definitely got some additional accounts. I think that we got a bunch of folks. Um, it drove a bunch of folks into the store to look for our products. So it was fun. It was great. It was good marketing for sure for us. I'll bet. And they, so they reached out to you guys. They did. Well, yeah, uh, that's awfully nice. Yeah. Well, we were, yeah, we were, you know, I mean, there's not too many, you know, companies as unique as us of like, not just chicken nuggets, but organic chicken nuggets run by lesbians. Come on. <laughs> right. Right. <That's... laughs> There's not that many of us. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, speaking of, so you guys have, have built this cult following in a relatively short amount of time for the length of the lifespan of the brand. So can you speak to how you've gained such a strong loyalty? I mean, you've got the 
the uniqueness, the quality of the product. Is there anything in particular that stands out as far as what you've done from a marketing standpoint? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that from a marketing standpoint, we've been really transparent. So a lot of the story is our personal family story, you know, and I think that that resonates for folks. We're super transparent about how we make our products, where we source from, and who we are as a family. And we have a lot of fun with it, right? So we don't take ourselves too seriously. And then from, uh, and then we made this really cute little logo that's, you know, a chicken family, which we always say is our is our family, right? And uh, you know, when we started, we started with packaging that was really unusual. So it's it's morphed. We've had three versions of packaging in four and a half years. Uh, we're just coming out with our third version. So the first version was this little, was little buckets of chicken. And it was adorable. People, the buyers loved it. So it set us apart because it was so unusual. Um, however, it also did not perform well from a, a merchandising perspective, you know? Interesting. So we could get onto the shelves, but nobody bought it, right? Really? So we, so then we went over to a traditional, a more traditional box um, and hired a marketing company to, to help us create that. And now just recently, we're going into a, yet another iteration of our packaging design. And what we found was that when we went from the cartons, I mean, when we went from the buckets to the cartons, to our current design, our sell-through on shelf, lit, like from one day to the next, increased like 300%. Wow. It was massive, right? Because we have, we're a frozen product, very low velocity, like turn velocity, so then when we just recently, um, in the last six months, we had our VP of sales and marketing join us. And when he joined, he very smartly pointed out some, some challenges we have, you know, in that we have really cute packaging, but it wasn't calling out our attributes as strongly as we could. You know, it wasn't really perhaps speaking in this to the same language. Like it was too, the message was too confusing. Um, so we've just redone our packaging again. Um, so I'm really excited to see what the outcome is. We kept our, you know, we wanted to, our brand story and our brand identity is really charming, but we weren't conveying, I don't think we were conveying the attributes well on our packaging because it was like this giant chicken family instead of being focused on product first. Hmm. So yeah, so we're coming out with new packaging now and we'll see how that goes. So just going back to those iterations of the packaging design and yeah. just how it was built out, what what data were you guys looking at and what, I guess, what was the, the trigger of, okay, this needs to change? So um, at the time, I think the only data we were looking at was the Whole Foods sell, sale velocity, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then also one of the main tools we did um, for promotion and marketing for the first several years was doing demos. So we were in the stores sampling our products, which in a lot of ways is a very effective tool, but it's also a very expensive tool. But it was just me. Like I would go out and do demos all over the country, um, having people sample our product. And consistently the feedback I got from the stores and from looking at our sale velocity was that we would, our placement was really inconsistent with the buckets. So we'd either, because they didn't fit on the regular shelves, we'd either be at the very top of the set or at the very bottom of the set. And we didn't have any branding on the top of the box. So it, 
it wasn't, it didn't communicate the quality that we wanted. So we actually went to Whole Foods and said, we love you guys. And you know, we know you love us, but this packaging isn't working from anybody's perspective. It was also tapered. So they tip over all the time. And the stores would tell me that they were essentially, it was a pain in the ass. So I went to Whole Foods and said, look, we want to change our packaging. Will you guys support us? And so they actually gave us a loan through their local vendor lending program to redo our packaging. So they lent us $35,000 to do that. Wow. I didn't realize I did that. Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. And then because then from a marketing perspective, if they invest, they're going to help support you. Right. 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 So they've taken our picture and they hang our post there. They made a poster, like all of the local, the, they call them LPLPs, the local producer lending program. So they have posters of us in stores and they invite us to special events and they just, you know, they support us. So it's from a marketing perspective, it's an excellent, it's really helped us. So anyway, so then we hired this marketing company and they came up with our current packaging, which is super cute and, uh, and fun but, you know, now we're more sophisticated and we have, um, we're utilizing data as a, as a decision-making tool. So now we, you know, get reports from SPINs and IRI. We have access to the Kroger portal and the Whole Foods portal. We subscribe to a couple other services so that we can put together our data and look at what our competition's turning on shelf level and look at what we're turning on shelf level. And we know we have a long way to go in terms of building our brand identity and building our, um, you know, they, they look, they say there's a bunch of things, right? It's, what is it? Pricing, promotion, placement. So, you know, so we're tweaking all of the levers, right? So we got our promotions this year, really. We didn't really have the financial wherewithal to support promotions in the way we do now, until recently. So we have our promotions in line. We, we decided to make an overall price reduction. So we're right in the middle of that process right now. So we're taking all of our products down to between $6.99 and $7.99. And then placement, you know, we're working with the stores to ensure that we get good placement on shelf level. But the more that we spent time looking at all these details, the more we recognized that the packaging was not, it wasn't putting the product first. So we um, actually hired uh, yet another branding company and they made some really great recommendations for how to do that. So we um, we'll see what the, we'll see, we'll see what happens. It's just going into place now. Um, but it is beautiful. So I'm, I'm really happy with the results. Oh, I'm excited to see it. You mentioned Whole Foods had done uh, through their, one of their programs had invested in you guys to help out with some of the packaging. And then uh, the West Texas Investors Club investment was basically you guys had a, a better option come along aside from the one that was offered to you on, on television. Um, mm-hmm. What was that process like going out and, and seeking investment? And what was it within the company that made you say, OK, this is time. It's time to, to seek outside funding. Yeah, well, we um, we pretty much started seeking outside funding from like day one. <laughs> um <laughs> It's actually quite a capital-intensive business. So we've done all kinds of things. Uh, We did a small business loan through the SBA. Um, We did that loan through Whole Foods. We did some friends and family money. Um, We went on to Circle Up, 
which is actually a great tool for CPG companies like ours. They um, match uh, investment opportunities to investors. So we went on to circle up. And then um, last year, we were approached by an um, equity group that invests specifically in food and ag companies in rural communities. Hmm. And it's, you know, the stars were aligned and it, um, they invested several million dollars in our business, which was great. Just kind of as a perspective, like the launch that we're doing right now of building our inventory into these various new accounts that we're launching into, uh, it's like a million dollars of inventory we're building. Wow. We needed the um, investment to build our, to support the growth we're experiencing. And it's been great. We've gotten some great investors and we've gotten some really great board members. That's exciting. And so you guys have had plenty of, of success on the business side. And it sounds like your your packaging is, is getting buttoned up really well. Uh, so what other initiatives, I mean, you guys have been in business for four years now. What other marketing initiatives have you seen that have worked aside from doing demos? Sure. Yeah. So we basically, our marketing strategy is focused on three areas. One is in-store promotions, right? So putting the product on sale so that we, you know, have a tag at shelf level and we get better placements. Um, We do coupons, we do demos, all that kind of in-store stuff is one piece of it. And that's really important. And then the other two pieces are social media and uh, PR. In terms of social media, we do um, create our content in-house. We've had a lot of fun with that, and um, we've been growing our social media. We've been really focused on growing our social media in the last year. So, you know, we're still small, but we're really focused on creating engaged followers, primarily through Instagram and Facebook. We do um, do pay-per-click and SEO to very limited for a very limited amount, um, but that's been a really effective tool for us. We have a great we have some great resources that we work with on that. Uh, and then in terms of press, we have this really great uh, PR person who um, gets us quite a bit of press. Honestly, I think that's been fun because it um, we're able to tell our story, you know, and and communicate out to wider audiences of folks who like we want to be a brand that um, attracts folks that don't necessarily shop in the frozen food aisle to come to the frozen food aisle i would i don't normally but i would for organic chicken nuggets yeah right right so that's what we want to be able to do which then just loops back into you know your in-store promotions of like being able to go to a, a, a buyer and say hey you know, we increased our social media by 500% this year and we're bringing new customers into your store and here's the metrics for how we can prove that. That's great. That's what they want to hear. Speaking of PR, I don't know if that's how this came about, but I, I read that you guys had, d- had done some cooking for former President Obama at the White House. Yes. What was that like? Amazing. Totally, totally amazing. So when Jen cooked for the Gettys in San Francisco, they would host uh, fundraising events at their home. And so President Obama came to their home for a couple of uh, DNC fundraisers. And the last time he was there, um, he so enjoyed the meal that Jen cooked, 
he asked her to come guest chef at the White House. Um, the Obamas really saw uh, chefs as artists, you know, like musicians and painters and dancers. And they really cultivated um, that as an art form. Uh, I mean, you know, Michelle's focus on good, healthy food for kids and having the White House garden. Anyway, so, um, so yeah, so Jen got to go cook for them on the October 7th. Um, of last year, and it was incredible. It's actually the food service there is run by the Navy, uh, so we let we met a lot of really cool Navy folks that were amazing chefs. It was a great honor. Yeah, I you look, I I'm, I can I think I just like squeezed lemons in the background for like hours or shelled peas. I don't remember exactly what I did. <laughs> I'm no chef, but I certainly worked hard and appreciated being able to be there. That's a pretty <laughs> amazing opportunity. Yeah. So I've got three questions that I ask uh, each of our guests at the end of end of each interview. This is kind of a tough one, but do you have a favorite book or one or two favorite books that has helped you out in, in business or marketing? I recently read Cheryl O'Loughlin's book called Killing It. She was the CEO of Cliff Bar. And then she started Plum Organics and sold it. And now she's the CEO of Rebel. And uh, she recently read a book called Killing It about being an entrepreneur. What it came down to for me was she talked about like following your instinct, you know, Mm -hmm. and also taking time to like pause and enjoy the process. Right. Because killing it in, in, For her book, killing it means two things. One is like killing it, like you're doing so well, you're, you know, making all your sales numbers, blah, blah. But she was also talking about simultaneously, like killing yourself, right? By like, by working too hard, never feeling like you've done enough, Hmm. so on and so forth, which is kind of the, can be the complexity to being an entrepreneur. So, you know, for me, in terms of marketing, I really enjoy it. Like, I love coming up with crazy ideas, you know, like this chicken nugget tasting room. Like, I love, that's so so much fun to me. But it has to, you know, I, I really appreciate it from her writing. Is like, you have to be able to pause and appreciate it and, and enjoy the ride. Otherwise, why are, what are we doing all this for? Mm-hmm. Do you have any productivity hacks or things that help you stay on top of your work and get things done? You know, just the usual, like, my cell phone is my best friend. And I love being able to, you know, work wherever I go. I think that there's so much. Look, I actually meditate for 30 minutes every morning. And I would say that that 30 minutes is probably more productive time spent than the days, certainly the days I don't take the time to do that. Hmm. Right? So just touching base and just like chilling out for 30 minutes and resting, I am much more productive than when I'm just running nonstop. Now, last question here. So just thinking of all that you've learned since founding Hip Chick Farms, is there anything that you wish you could go back and and teach your past self as you were starting the company? Oh my God. So many things. (laughs) So many things. There's many decisions that we made that I would like to change. I wish I'd had a better understanding of financial needs before I'd gotten into this so fully. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that's probably like that for anybody who is new into the food industry. But had you known, would you have still started the company? Yes. Good. 
I love it. Awesome. Well, yeah. Serafina, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. And where, where can people find out more about Hip Chick Farms and uh, what you guys have coming out next? Sure. So if you visit our website at hipchickfarms.com, you can search for our products on our store locator and learn more about uh, what we offer um, on our website or on our Facebook or Instagram. Awesome. Well, thank you again. And, and this has been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the podcast, folks. If you learned something from Serafina and you want to hear more interviews just like hers, head over to the iTunes store and let us know in the reviews. We'll talk to you next week.